we're in 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14, kind of inching our way through verse 14, but along the way, I keep trying to harken back to chapters 12 and 13, because I really want you to hear all of this in a larger context. Let's move the ball forward in chapter 14 and draw threads back to the previous chapters. Chapter 14, verse 10. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. So there's numerous languages, and these languages are all meaningful. They all have words that have definitions ascribed to them. The French Academy of Sciences famously has a ban on the study of the origin of languages. And this was to prevent students from arriving inevitably at where the Bible says language came from in ancient Sumeria or Babylon. Does that sound familiar, right? The Tower of Babel. The, the trail goes cold about 6,000 years ago, all around the same place. And then from there, we see all the world's proto-languages in complete states with written forms and everything. They all just appear on the scene all at the same time in the historical record all over the world. It's almost like the Bible's true or something. And this language barrier that God imposed to mitigate our ability to collude and depravity was mitigated in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit poured out upon the multi multinational crowd of Jews gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. And the result was that every Jew went home from Pentecost with a gospel testimony in his or her own language or dialect of Hebrew. The same outpouring takes place in Acts chapter 10 upon Gentiles who likely all spoke the same language at Cornelius' house. The purpose in this outpouring of the gift of tongues in Acts chapter 10 was to prove to Peter that the Holy Spirit was just as much upon Gentiles as he is upon Jews. But in our modern day discussion about the gift of tongues in the context of the church, there are to be thought these tongues of men and these tongues of angels. See chapter 13. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Right, that's chapter 13, verse 1. And the teaching goes that if someone's not able to interpret your use of, your, of the gift of tongues, and it may be an angelic tongue that no human particularly knows. There's some pretty amazing stories that come from my charismatic brothers and sisters regarding the gift of tongues. One man praying while walking along the street, praying aloud yet softly to himself, and someone turns to interpret what he said as on the street corner, saying you were just speaking Egyptian. This man's never spoken Egyptian before. I was on a mission trip as well, and our interpreter was running late, so uh, one guy on our team got up and presented the gospel to a huge school full of students, and students came forward. The interpreter shows up and tries to decipher what just happened. She said, these guys were just saved. What happened? Did you get up and speak in Portuguese? And, she said, and he said, no, I don't even know Portuguese. I spoke in English. And the students did not profess to speak in English either, but they knew exactly what was going on. These would be miraculous examples, I think, of the gift of tongues, because in the, in the original context of Acts chapter 2, it was understood. People understood what was being said in their own languages. This, to me, is more in accordance with the original intent and purpose of the gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2 as it was originally poured out. That is perfectly aligned with what, with what Paul's going to describe in chapter 14 as a sign for unbelievers. This is exactly what it was in Acts chapter 2. It was a sign for unbelievers, and that's to me, the, the gift of tongues in a continuation is since uh, in accordance with its original intent. Be it a language that is 
human or angelic, that's to be dissuaded. If it's if it's angelic, then how is someone to interpret it apart from perhaps a ma miraculous manifestation of this gift of the interpretation of tongues? Either way, these languages all have meaning. And so when you hear the gift of tongues exercised in such a way that could be described as nothing short of just sheer babble uh, that lacks meaning, monosyllabic outbursts, all right, where you're speaking like a Wookiee, like Chewbacca, where even the modern day Star Wars movies had to acknowledge, like, hey, you can understand that. You get, there's meaning in that. If there's no meaning to it, there can't possibly be any meaning to it, then you're not speaking in a tongue of men or angels. You're speaking in some other kind of spiritual language. This is, this, this is what Paul writes out of deliberately in verse 11. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also, you, you are to be zealous for the spiritual gifts. They certainly were zealous for the spiritual gifts. But if you're going to speak in a, in a language that makes everybody feel like they're foreigners, you're speaking in a way that is the polar opposite of the original intent of the gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 had this beautiful conciliatory effect. Even though you had Medes and Persians and you had Jews from every known stretch of the world all together in one place, they all spoke the same language and they all understood each other. Likewise, in Cornelius's house in Acts chapter 10, these Gentiles all were speaking tongues and it was conciliatory for Peter to say, look, they've received the Holy Spirit just as I have. At the opposite effect of making somebody feel like a foreigner, it made everybody feel like they were one big family and it literally built up the, the, the church of God. And so if you've been a part of a church family that abused the spiritual gifts, such that it made you feel like a foreigner, then they're in the polar opposite intent, according to Paul's instructions clearly for the spiritual gifts. It's good to be zealous for the spiritual gifts. That's verse 12 but seek to excel in those that build up the church. We're going to talk about this more this weekend. In chapter 9, see I'm drawing strings even further back into the text. You see Paul say he became all things to all people so that he might win some. This building up of the church means not only the personal edification of your brothers and sisters in Christ, but it also means the growing of the body of believers. As we enact the Great Commission, the Holy Spirit draws people from darkness to light. The way that we do church and the way that it's perceived by those who are outside the church really matters. You're going to see that more as we delve into this very, very important chapter. Your spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church. If people feel like foreigners and they feel like they're cast away because you're using your spiritual gift, and you're, you're repulsive to other people, or other people feel like outsiders as a result, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's some other spirit, man. This is for the building up of the church both the encouragement of fellow believers and also, I believe, numerically building up the church. As you use the spiritual gifts, you're gonna grow the church. So this weekend, we're gonna talk more about that, about how God is using spiritual gifts in accordance with this design to really grow his church by all means necessary. Become all things to all people. Use your spiritual gifts so that the church may be built up. I wanna pray for you. If you're feeling discouraged, speaking of building you up, speaking of encouraging you, I'm going to speak English. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to hopefully build you up. God, I lift up my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray, oh God, that you would encourage those who are downtrodden, that you would, Lord, uplift those who are hurting, that as we go through this text that tells us to build up the church and encourage one another, I pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ would be encouraged. Bring them home to the Redemption Church this weekend. Let them abide, Lord, in that sweet fellowship of authenticity that we share. Would your Holy Spirit move, send fire from heaven, just like you send 
fire upon Elijah's altar. Put fire, Lord, within the stone ring, just as you do with our student ministry on Thursday nights. Safely within the confines provided by Scripture, I pray that you'd pour the Holy Spirit out without measure. And I pray that my brothers and sisters who feel far from you would be brought home. Those who feel heartbroken would find healing. Those who feel discouraged would be re-emboldened. And those who are bearing fruit for you would bear even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll see you this weekend.